0: Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, episode 284. Interviews with Chris Porteau, Jennifer Ellis, and David Gatewood. Editor for Hugh Howey, Michael Bunker, and many others.
1: And now, constructed on a zeppelin by an apprentice mage, and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in
2: Sci-Fi Publishing.
0: Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy literature. This is Sean Farrell. Today I am joined by some of the creative voices behind the new anthology, Tales from Pennsylvania, which also features a story by our very own Timothy Seward. Unfortunately, Tim couldn't be on the show, but I think once you hear more about the book you'll be even more excited to go pick up a copy for yourself. Having Tim in the book is enough of a reason to go buy a copy. But once you learn more about it, I think you'll be really excited to do so. So today I'm joined by Chris Porteau, and Jennifer Ellis, and the, one of the editors of the book, uh, David Gatewood, who's also an editor for Hugh Howey and Michael Bunker, and well, and Chris, and Jennifer as well, and many others. So you're g- going to enjoy this quite a bit. We also discussed the new shared world universe, Apocalypse Weird, created by Nick Cole and Michael Bunker and others. Uh, the first book of that just came out. It is free, at least for now. So use the image you'll find on the show notes page to buy it. To Well, not buy it, but to download it for free. So you can learn more about this world and all the future books that will be coming out uh, over the course of 2015. A very cool project and I'm looking forward to uh, following along with it. This episode is brought to you by Islands, Bain Books audio adaptation of Eric Flint's also titled Novella Islands. We discussed this a little bit in the last episode, and I listened to a sample of the audiobook just a few minutes ago, and I sent an email to Bain. I would love to play a few minutes of it for you guys. It's very well done, and I think it really sells itself. Um, So I'm sure that's going to be fine, but I don't like to do things without permission. So in the meantime, come to to the show notes page for episode 284, and you can find all the information there for Islands. Uh, you can go to BaneBooks.com through the link in our show notes page for it to download. It's only a couple of dollars to get this audio drama. It's an hour and a half long. It's a movie for your ears. Very cool stuff, adapted by Tony Daniel. Check it out, and hopefully the next time I'm talking about this, I will have three to five minutes that I can play for you, and you so you can hear it yourself. Over at the website as well, we have a guest post discussing the two... ...broad categories of fantasy writing, the approach to writing fantasy. The post is brought to us by fantasy author Rob J. Hayes, author of The Heresy Within. And he kind of breaks down fantasy to either Tolkien or Martin based on the approach and the style... So, give it a quick read. It's not that it's not very long, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If you're a writer, which school do you see yourself in, or do you think there are more schools or more approaches that weren't mentioned? Uh, if you're a reader, which style do you prefer to read, what, uh, or as he says in the article, which class do you prefer to read? We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find the article publishing dot com. All right, let's get into the interview, and we'll see you next time. Today, I am pleased to be joined by another roundtable of authors. I'm glad I get to do this again um and we have some all-around cool people here because we were talking about doctor who before we started recording so i know they're cool even though david wasn't on the line so david i'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you like doctor who and therefore you're cool i'm just going to introduce you guys by first name and then if you could please just tell us your full name and and a little bit about yourself and your work uh that'd be great and then we'll get started uh diving into things here and let's go ahead and, and start off with david
3: Uh, Hi, this is David Gatewood. I'm a freelance editor. Um, I've edited for the other couple of authors we've got here for Chris and Jennifer, as well as for Michael Bunker uh, on Pennsylvania, and that's how I I got involved with uh, with uh,
0: Chris on Tales of Pennsylvania. All right, thanks, David and Jennifer.
1: Uh, I'm Jennifer Ellis. I live in Canada um, in the mountains. I work as an environmental researcher by day, and I'm a writer by night. and I write middle grade science fiction, fantasy, but and dystopian fiction as well, which is how I came to become involved in Tales from Pennsylvania.
0: Do you and sleep? David is
1: my, yeah, not as much as I would like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you going to say about
2: David?
1: Oh, and David is my editor.
0: And of course, Chris is here as well.
2: Yes, uh, my name is Chris Porteau, uh, by day, to follow Jennifer's template here. Uh, By day, I'm a technical writer, technical editor. Uh, I live in Texas, uh, and um, I have one full novel published that's sort of a horror-thriller-type thing, but really my thing lately is uh, dystopian sci-fi. That's how I got interested in Pennsylvania, and that's how I came to... uh, uh, sort of talk Michael into the idea, it didn't take much actually, uh, of doing the, the uh, anthology Tales from Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, Excellent. Very cool. Well, it's great to have you all on the show. And what initially brought us all together actually is that you're in this anthology. We've heard a couple of mentions of Pennsylvania and the new anthology is called Tales from Pennsylvania. It's a collection of new science fiction short stories set in Michael Bunker's universe from his novel Pennsylvania, if I understand everything correctly. Um, now, I'm going to be completely transparent about all this. Our own uh, Timothy C. Ward has a story in the anthology, but due to some scheduling conflicts, um, he couldn't be with us tonight, unfortunately. But uh, well, I want to talk, talk about his story a little bit uh, in a couple of minutes here. But David, I want to ask you, first off, uh, David and Chris, uh, I, had known, I had never heard of Michael Bunker. Uh, before Tim told me about this book that he was going to be in. And so I don't know anything about the world that this is set in. C- could you give me and our listeners some background about Michael's work and the world of Pennsylvania?
2: Chris, you want to take that one? Um, I can start it. Uh, you actually have more experience as as his editor. Uh, but yeah, I can start it. Um, Michael wrote a series of, uh, uh, I think, five sections uh, that eventually became an omnibus called Pennsylvania. And uh, the essential story there is sort of a rebellion versus empire story. But uh, Luke Skywalker is actually an Amish man named Jedediah Troyer. Uh, and what happens is Jedediah goes to uh, the land of New Pennsylvania, and it's some um, somewhat uh, – Vague about where that actually is or when that actually is, Uh, and he gets involved in a conflict between a uh, rebel group called Trace uh, and the authority – actually, they're literally called the Transport Authority, uh, which regulates – Everybody's movement everywhere in New Pennsylvania, and they're sort of a despotic government. Uh, and Jedediah gets uh, embroiled in the rebellion that, that's occurring uh, in New Pennsylvania. Um, and so that's sort of the the background for the Pennsylvania omnibus, which became the Bible – For all of us writers in doing Tales from Pennsylvania,
3: the one thing I think I'd point out is that actually Pennsylvania. You know, Chris mentioned that Pennsylvania started off in five parts. It actually started out with just one part, similar to the way that Hugh Howey started off Wool. There was just an initial Mm -hmm. short story. The response to it was so great; Uh, it just it had like almost all five star reviews. That Michael said, "All right, I've got to write more of this," and so now we've got this uh, great omnibus and. Michael is very slowly working on a sequel called Oklahoma.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, cool. Now, now, is Pennsylvania, is that? I'm sorry, Chris. It, did you say that was an alien world? Is this another planet we're talking about?
2: Well, that's kind of the part of the tension in the novel. You're not sure. – I call it a novel, the omnibus. Um, and I came to – I've only known Michael for about a year. David's known him longer than that, and and you could tell that in, the, in our two answers about that. You know, to me, it's always an omnibus, but David's right. It started out as one story and then got popular, and, and Michael built on that. Um, but it's it's – we're not sure where it is. We're not sure if it's a future Earth. We're not sure if it's a different planet. Um, it's, there's a little bit of vagary there. And I, and I don't want to you know, postulate too much on that because I don't want to give anything away that Michael may be working on. But it's, that's, that's part of the tension of the novel. Okay.
0: Okay, cool. How did you guys come to uh, have the opportunity to play in Michael's sandbox like this? I, Chris, you, you mentioned earlier that the anthology was your idea?
2: Yeah, um, I'd read it and I liked it a lot. And, um, I was just becoming friends with Michael at that time. Uh, we, I got to know him through Nick Cole, who is a, uh, mutual friend of ours. Um, and I read it and I was like, you know, this would be a fun world to write in. Uh, and so I just approached him one day and I just said, you know, Hey, uh, would you be interested in uh, putting together an anthology in set in Pennsylvania? And, um, he had just read my, the horror-thriller novel I mentioned uh, called Shadows Burned In, and he liked that a lot. And he said, sure, would you write one? And I was like, uh, absolutely, uh, I would be honored to. And that's how it kind of came to be. And he was like, well, let me throw some names together, and why don't you send them an email? And when they say no, uh, then we'll approach some other people. And, and <laughs> nobody said no. Uh, Everybody was really enthusiastic about uh, writing in that world, Uh, and so it just kind of came together over, I don't know, I guess from about May to – well, we published it uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in November, but it was really all together, I would say, by – September or so. Well, David really see what David and I did. We split the editing duties. Since I was kind of the the chief cat herder in terms of getting the authors on a schedule and getting the stories in, I did some front frontline editing on on the stories, which basically I I just tried to clean them up a little bit, make sure there are no spelling errors, kind of do the the basic stuff, so that when David got them, uh, he could focus on any significant issues that might still be in the stories. And so. Um, he actually did the back end editing. I did the front end editing. And so I think maybe, I guess it was more like end of October or so before they were, they were actually all together. Uh, but that's how it came together. I just approached Michael and he said, absolutely. And we got a bunch of enthusiastic people on board and, and that's how it came together.
0: So, Jennifer, I take it then that you were on that list that was invited.
1: I was, and and I hadn't actually read Pennsylvania at that time. I was more familiar with Michael because he had written a book on off-grid living, and uh, I write uh, in a dystopian peak oil uh, economic collapse kind of world in one of my novels, and so I had been very aware of him through his other uh, work, and so when Chris contacted me, I I was of course very excited to uh, read Pennsylvania and then write in that world.
0: Could you tell uh, you- us a little bit about your story in the anthology, Jennifer? What's What's your story about?
1: Okay, well, so that's a that's a good question. So one of the and and you had had po- posed a question about what makes uh, Pennsylvania such a great world to write in, and for me, it's it's really a world of intersections, right? It's a world where there's the intersection between city and country, and old and new, past and future, plain people. Um, because it is uh, it is Amish science fiction and non-plain people and war and peace. And so I wanted to take that intersection and push it a little bit further. And I had a, a pair of people, uh, a stripper and a former uh, nightclub owner, who were forced to flee the city and take refuge in an Amish community. Mm. And I just wanted to explore that experience of living as an Amish person when you are really coming from a much, much different world. Um, so my story is about uh, them living in this Amish community and then some intrigue that happens as a result as part of the ongoing conflict between trace and transport.
0: That sounds cool. All right. Uh, Chris, you have a story in the book, right? Yes. Yes, and what is yours about?
2: Um, well, it's called Glass and Height, which is a, a um, an Amish uh, cultural... Gosh, what do I want to say? It's a, it's a tenet of of Amish society. And basically it's uh, – I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but uh, – Oh, am I? Uh, yes. Are you? Not, not uh, the well, new we,
0: ones, but the old ones. You're, the yeah, real we ones. Should,
2: yeah. We should talk offline. <laughs> uh, but uh, Spock's uh, 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 position that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, that's kind of height. Uh, I, what I assume is a, is a Dutch or, or German term. Um, but anyway, But basically what it means is you, know, you, you sublimate the needs of the individual to the needs of the community. You, 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 you uh, do what the community needs, not necessarily what's in your own selfish best interests. Well, not best, but selfish interests. And so my story is about this um, uh, family, Amish family, uh, named Brenneman. Uh, And the narrator—it's told in first person. The narrator is Abram, and uh, he's the father of a a daughter and a son, and he has a wife, and they live in a a house in the AZ, which is the Amish zone in New Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And transport comes in and says, "We want you to to change the way you're farming. We want you to upgrade your farming techniques." And there, they say, "We don't want to do that because the way we farm is part of who we are, and we don't." Want to just upgrade it with technology because you tell us to, um, and so i don 't want to give too much in the in the story away because there 's a bit of a twist, but uh, the long story short of it is uh, the, the fam- it 's about the Amish family and their adherence to their cultural um, identity and the way transport tries to change that, and the tragic circumstances that occur within the family or for the family as a result of that tension. Mm.
0: Okay, cool. Gosh, I'm going to have to pick a copy of this book up. Um, <laughs> I haven't yet. Don't tell Tim, even though he's going to listen to this and he'll know. Um, David, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't ask Tim what his story is about since he's not on the line with us. But, uh, and, and I know it's probably been four, five, six months since you read his story, but do, do you remember his story well enough to tell us a little bit of what Tim's story is about in the book?
2: Uh, yeah. I can. Oh, go, no, please, David, go ahead.
3: Yeah, so Tim, Tim wrote a great story. It's called The Bomb in the President's Bathroom. Um, uh, and which is actually more of a, a metaphorical thing. It's not actually about a president's bathroom. Uh, but it's about a journalist who um, – I'm afraid of giving too much away about the plot of Pennsylvania. But he knows that something very bad is about to happen, and he is looking for some sort of redemption uh, and, and, and escape. And so much of the story is, is actually a rather tense escape scene uh, where this journalist is, is trying to help out someone else – uh, in, in order to get them to safety. Uh, and it's, it's actually it's quite well done, uh, and I think it's one of the better stories in the anthology.
0: Oh, very cool. Awesome. You know, David, I was looking at your website today and, and looking at your, uh, your list of the books that you've edited, and it's quite a few titles on there. Um, and you, you helped edit these, these uh, short stories as well. What, how do you approach editing an anthology and editing short stories versus you know, when you're working on the larger scope of a novel?
3: It, you know, um, it's it's not uh, fundamentally all that different. It's a, it's harder to edit short stories because um, y- by the time you get a feel for the author's voice in this particular piece, you're already done with it. With it, with a novel, you get used to it, and then you know, part of the middle part, you just kind of fly along, and it's quite easy uh, with the short story. You're you're working through it like, okay, now I understand how this comes together, and you're moving on to another author and another voice. Um, But apart from that, I mean, the goal with all the editing is always just to make sure that the the author is coming off uh, with their best possible voice. You want to figure out what it is that they sound like uh, and what it is that they meant to say, sometimes when they didn't actually say it, and just make sure that everything comes through clearly. Uh, and with the with the impact that they're going for.
0: Now, this anthology is out and available now. Come to the show notes for this episode. The all the links will be there, so you can go pick up a copy. And we already have the book in our books uh, by our contributors page um, under Tim's name. It's already there, so so do come check it out. Um, you know, Tim wanted me to ask you guys, as you mentioned, especially Chris and Jennifer, you have day jobs and it sounds like you're writing at night. And, and David, I don't know if you have an additional career besides editing, but he wanted me to ask you guys how you manage to balance your schedules and still be productive and prolific as writers. Um, and so Jennifer, why don't we start with you on that one?
1: <laughs> you mean aside from being half crazed half the time? Um, I, uh, you know,
0: well, he might take that if that's what you got. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, for starters, I I, I say I work. Um, I work seventy five percent. So I I work from home as a consultant, and so that does give me some flexibility. And working seventy five percent helps because it does allow me to occasionally steal those full days of writing um, that, uh, are really helpful in moving, uh, a, a story forward. Um, I also will sometimes work for an hour in the morning on writing, but that's a bit risky because sometimes if I get into my story, I forget to then turn to my paid work and my mm-hmm. clients don't necessarily like that. So I only do that when I'm really feeling disciplined that I can cut myself off at the 930 point and, and move to the other stuff. But, um, i do i am occasionally able to do that, but you know other than that, it is really uh it's a juggling act. I mean my kids are a bit older uh they're twelve and ten, so that helps to some extent uh they aren't perhaps as needy, but um they still have i mean i have i have one child homesick from school today and one who went missing en route to his free skiing uh training. And you know, I, I spend a, and I have a geriatric cat who I'm glad is not yowling outside my door right now. So, <laughs> it, it for certainly is a balancing act, and and uh, I just try to stay really disciplined about word count, right? And and so when I get a specific task and I know I have to produce sixty thousand words by a certain date, I you know I map it out and I say how many words must I produce every single day, and I just make sure no matter what, unless things get really desperate that I, that I do it somehow. So, um, yeah. And, you know, maybe I drive the people around me crazy. I'm not sure, but they <laughs> haven't mentioned that yet.
0: <laughs> what What is your, uh, normal word count production in, an, in a given day?
1: Um, I aim for 1200 words a day, which, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you, a lot. Do, a lot. if you do, if you do a 1200, words a day, you can produce a 60,000 word novel in two months easily, right? With a little bit of room to spare. That's why I like to do 1,200 instead of 1,000. Um, but on really productive days, like days where I get the full day, I try to bump it up to between 3,000 and 5,000. So I probably get a full day of writing in maybe three times a month, but that makes
2: a difference.
0: Absolutely. Very good. Uh, Chris, how about you? How do you attack this?
2: Um, well, I, I, have much more modest goals, uh, compared to Jennifer's. I mean, I, I, if I write a thousand words in a day, i I'm, I'm happy with that. And that, on a weekday anyway, uh, on a weekend, if I can not, uh, the chapters in the novel that I'm working on now, or, I'm aiming at 2,500, I usually end up about 2,800. Um, if I can knock out a chapter a day on a Saturday and a Sunday, that's a great weekend for me, um, I just because I do a recursive thing i don't you know you're supposed to just start and write right 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 right, right, and then you know get to some stopping point, whether it's a section or a chapter or a book, and then go back and edit and I don't do that. I recursively edit, so if I wrote a thousand words yesterday and I'm going to sit down and write today, I go back over the thousand words and edit that before I get into what I'm doing today. Uh, part of that is is to get me back in the mindset of what I was in. But th- the other part is I just I'm, – I'm part editor, part writer. So I can't – if I if I think something needs to be worked on, I have to go – I'm compulsed to go work on it. Um, so I, usually I'm writing in – I'll write in the evening for a couple of hours after work. Uh, uh, earlier in the fall, I was writing like 450 words in the morning from about 5.30 to 6.30 in the morning uh, before anybody else got up. Um, so I just kind of steal whatever hour or two I can find and, and pump out whatever I can on a given day. And like Jennifer said, you set a deadline or you have a deadline set for you and then you work backwards. And I think something she said is absolutely essential to that kind of production. That is you have to be organized and not all creative folks are, or are, are all that organized. But I think if you're going to be, if you're going to hit the target, uh, you have to sp- pick a date pick a target uh, number of words, and then work backwards and say, what do I have to have done by this Thursday? What do I have to have done by next Tuesday? Otherwise, it just, it just goes on and on. So organization is the key, I think.
0: David, do you have another job or another career besides editing?
3: I, I actually um, left my other career this year. I was working as a financial analyst, uh, and so I left that in order to edit full-time. Uh, and I actually did that in part because I wanted to have more time available to spend with my family. Uh, my kids are both elementary school age. Um, and unfortunately, it's, so far it's worked out the opposite as intended. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> you know, the curse of being self-employed is that you're always at work. Uh, so I'm trying to get a handle on that. But, uh, well, let me it, just
2: say something. I want to interject something here. The reason David is so busy is because he's so damn good at his job. Everybody wants to be edited by David Gatewood. That's that's just a fact. If they know about him, if they've heard about, him, that's why you see his name on all those anthologies, and that's why we we used him on, on Tales from Pennsylvania because he's really he's the best in that field. Well, so, so keep that please keep continue it. your answer, David. But I wanted to in, interject that. That's why he, he's spending less time with his family because he's spending it on on authors that want his services.
3: Thanks for that, Chris. Um, so. It, that, that'll just make me more busy now, and I'll spend less time with my kids. You're welcome. That's You're just welcome.
2: Don't hire David. Don't hire him. We want Please, him. David sucks. Don't <laughs> use him. He's horrible.
3: <laughs> no, but now that I've been doing it full time for a few months, uh, I have a better feel for you know what my capacity is, and I think I'll be scheduling better so that I'll get things back to where I had originally envisioned them.
0: How did you get started doing this? And I just started editing. Yeah, was that? Was, did you? Just, was that something you, that you used to do, or you know? Did you no, edit?
3: I never. I never had any intent to do this, but uh, uh, I read Wool, um, uh, and I saw some errors in it, and for whatever uh, impulsive reason, I decided to flag them all and send them to Hugh Howey, uh, who I didn't, of course, know at the time, uh, and he, he always kids me because the. Subject header for my email was 163 errors in Wool, <laughs> which was rather – awesome. Coming from a complete stranger. Uh, and then uh, – but from there he was like, okay, you want to actually beta read my next book so we don't have to go through this again. And he kind of coaxed me along as we went through the various shift uh, novels that were the sequels to Wool to get more and more involved in the editing process until I got to the point where I was comfortable doing it and decided to do it for others. And uh, it became, you know, something I enjoy doing.
1: And I was one of those people lucky enough to be staring at my Twitter feed the day that Hugh decided to announce that David was available for freelancing work. I, I cannot believe what a stroke that, of luck that was. <laughs> and uh, managed to contact him right away before everyone else got in.
3: And I'm glad you did.
0: Well, it's an amazing opportunity created by independent publishing, right? I mean, you can't just go to Random House and be like, hey, I'd like to work here now. Um, so that's that's an awesome thing. Um, right. Chris, I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned in the emails that we had uh, going back sure. and forth today. And you mentioned uh, fan fiction. You know, 10 <laughs> years ago, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think fan fiction didn't have the best connotation to it. Uh, but I think that's certainly changing, especially as authors like – Michael and uh, and Hugh Howey are opening up their universes to others. Now, I don't know if I would call it fan fiction if you're, you know, being invited to to play in the sandbox, so to speak, especially if you're being paid for your work. Um, And I know Tim has written several stories in Hugh Howey's world. So what is your view on fan fiction and how it can help a writer develop a career? (sighs)
2: Well, um, I don't really see a downside to it. Uh, 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 here's what I mean by that: if if uh, an unknown writer approaches Hugh Howey or Michael Bunker and says, "I'd really like us to write a story in your universe," um, unless the product is is just horribly, horribly bad, which is possible, um, but unless that happens, there's no downside for the writer that approaches them. It gives them a pre-made, first of all, you get a pre-made world, which is much easier to write in because all of the rules are already made, all the characters are there, you know, you can create new characters, but, but the expectations of the readers are already set by the original. Um, secondly, you come into it with a fan base that don't even know who you are because they're a fan of the work, they're a fan of the world. Um, and so it's a huge opportunity for the new writer uh, to uh, make... Uh, meet fans or, or reach fans uh, for fans to get, uh, and this is the, the second part of why it's it's a win-win, win-win-win, actually. Uh, for the fans, it gives them something to read in a world that they already love. Because Maybe the author hasn't published in it lately, or maybe they're off doing something else. So they get a new story in that world, like Tales from Pennsylvania. Um, and for the, uh, the original author whatever fans that this new author may pick up eventually may come into their world. So if the new author becomes a big hit and then they write something um, in a a whole whole different world and get new fans that way, and and then those fans start looking at what the author has written in other places, oh, they find Pennsylvania or they find Wool, then the original author may get new fans via the new writer. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. Um, as long as the story itself is is a quality product,
0: and would you say as long as the the author the original author approves of the story, especially? Of-
2: oh, absolutely. I, I think that's a uh, and that's kind of a it was a it was in the back of my head because Michael was has invited everyone and anyone that wants to write about Pennsylvania to do that. Uh, so that was a given in my head. But you're absolutely right. It needs to be um, – if, you, if you're a fan of so-and-so, you need to contact so-and-so and make sure it's okay for you to write in their world. Um, sometimes there are legal, legalities involved. Um, sometimes it's just, sure, uh, have at it, and you know it may be that simple. But you're right. You need to have the endorsement or at least the blessing of the originator.
0: You know, I – gosh, I've emailed George Lucas a thousand times. I <laughs> – <laughs> Guy is so rude. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer, David, have you uh, done any fan fiction yourselves?
1: Um, I guess for me, uh, tales of Tales from Pennsylvania would be my first. Uh, it's funny calling it fan fiction because I tend to think of that as like you know if you're writing about New Direction or something like that or right, New Directions. Right. I don't even know their name, but you know the woman who recently has landed a million dollar contract through her fan fiction stories about uh, the band that I cannot name. Um, but you know, the, the really positive thing I think about, uh, writing in somebody else's world, um, and we can call it fan fiction if we like, or I'd prefer to think of it as something else, but we'll, we'll call it fan fiction for now is that the, the the pre-made world means that you don't have to develop like an ulcer over world building decisions. You can funnel your creativity elsewhere. And I think it allows it, it just allows you for different discoveries within your writing and different innovations within your writing that I think makes it uh, unique because you're not, you're not multitasking as much when you're, when you're writing because you're not thinking, okay, what is the rule of this world? What am I going to decide the rule of this world is? It's already done, and so you can think about mm-hmm. other decisions. So I like it from that perspective. And you get to make friends with these great writers, so right. that's also right. very fun.
0: How about you, David? <laughs> do you do any writing yourself?
3: I don't do any writing myself, so I can say that I've edited some fan fiction, uh, but uh, of course I don't write anything at all.
0: Sorry, Chris. I think I cut you off there.
2: No, uh, no. Actually, he writes wonderful comments in his edits uh, that that make you laugh as much as as cringe. And I only say cringe, but not not that he's making you cringe. But oh my God, he I, I left that in there. He found that. Uh, yeah, that's the cringe part. But usually, there's some. Uh, he usually gives the the medicine with with a little bit of honey, even if the honey is a little bit snarky. But that's that's his trademark, and that's why we love him.
1: Pretty soon we'll be putting out the Gatewood Omnibus uh, Commentary uh, Edition (laughs) 1.
2: Nice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Now, David, I know I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites. I know not to do that. But can you maybe look at one or two stories from Tales from Pennsylvania that uh, might surprise people? Either people are familiar with the universe or people who are new to the universe for the first time and they might not expect the type of stories that are in there. Any stories that really jumped out as just being unique or different in some way to you?
3: Well, first I wanted to say that the, the best stories are the ones by Chris Porteau and Jennifer Ellis, by far.
2: Gosh, that's – thank you.
1: Jeez. Keep it so Did
0: you hear David say that? This is how <sighs> he keeps this... his clients, yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, we're um, se- secretly well, – two of them anyway. I don't know about the other 75, <laughs> but he's got two.
3: Here's the thing that surprised me about them as a group. Uh, usually when I do uh, editing of an anthology, one of the things that I really worry about um, is that there's going to be some sort of a theme and that some of the stories are going to end up too similar. And when I put the story together, I have to try to make sure they're far apart in the book because it's going to be like they're almost telling the same story. And with Tales uh, from Pennsylvania, there was none of that at all. It it struck me just how much uh, world-building Michael did when he when he wrote Pennsylvania, that he didn't actually get in and explore. There's all of these different um, groups and, uh, and and regions uh, that each have their own story that that was just barely touched on but not told. And the authors that came in in Tales from Pennsylvania uh, went and explored these areas. And so what you have is ten stories that are completely. Uh, unique, there was no question of there being any overlap or any similarity between them. Uh, And that's what really jumped out at me.
1: And and just to, you know, add, I think, I think David made a really good point there that, you know, when you are going to write these kind of pieces, you do look at the original work and think, what is the hook for me, right? Like, what is part of this world that I really want to know more about that I want to write something about, right? And, And for every different writer, that that hook is going to be a little bit different, and I think that was what was really interesting uh, about Tales from Pennsylvania is to see what what parts of Michael's world everybody else kind of hooked into, right?
3: For anyone who's read Pennsylvania, probably the biggest hook to get them to want to read this is to know that Michael's wrote a story about the character named Eagles, who's uh, just one of the, uh, I guess, fan favorites from the original book. So we get to learn a little bit more about Eagles' backstory.
0: Tales of Pennsylvania is not the only project in which you three are involved. At least, David, I think you're involved with uh, at least some of the editing that has that is going into uh, Apocalypse Weird. A new collaboration, I think, is 13 authors involved in writing uh, novels that are connected in some way. So I'm going to ask you guys about this. I saw that uh, Stephen Seville is a part of that, who I met him at Writers of the Future a few years ago. And uh, Nick Cole.
2: Also just, a Doctor who, uh, Doctor who writer, by the way,
0: Stephen. He's a Doctor Who writer? yeah <laughs> wow, what for for the for when, like future seasons, I got to stop. oh are, are you talking about the books?
2: No, no, I think you wrote a I think you wrote teleplays, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay, no, gosh, I think
0: you're right, actually. I can't keep up with that guy. he's like he gives Kevin J. Anderson a run for his money. He, <laughs> right. <laughs> he's out of control <laughs> um, but you know, Nick Cole just uh released the Red King, which is the first book, correct me if I'm wrong. So honestly, I don't even know where to start asking you guys about this because it's such a big thing. So maybe just how did this start? Who, who, kicked this, who kicked this thing off?
2: Well, Jennifer just wrote a blog about it today and published that. So I'm going to defer to her to start the conversation. Uh, oh, She's
0: our historian. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, I, was afraid that, I was afraid you were going to do that, Chris. Yeah. Uh. Um, you know, and honestly, I think it started with uh, with Michael and Tim Grawl and Nick Cole, and they cooked this thing up somewhere. And the rest of us have been more recently let in upon it and invited to partake in it. So I, I can't actually speak as coherently to origins as I would like, but I think it's a great idea that they have, and I'm so glad to be invited to be part of it. But. Um, definitely Nick, Michael and Tim would be best to speak to where they got this idea from and, uh, and even also where they plan to take it. I mean, they've, they've provided us with some exciting details, but I'm not sure if we have the entire full vision that they, um, that they have. And I think they do have one.
2: I can speak a little bit to that and I I don't want to steal their uh, thunder. You should interview them about this, particularly Nick Cole. Um, But, essentially what it is, is they're creating a world um, called Apocalypse Weird. uh, And there is an overarching meta um, plot with some specific plot points that happen uh, across all of the novels. And each of us writers are sort of establishing the different areas. It's kind of a, it's a, it, the, the way Nick describes it, it's a multiverse. There are. I have a, a novel that I'm writing that's set in Houston, Texas, essentially. Uh, Jennifer has a novel that she's writing that's set on an island off of Canada. If I'm, am I right, Jennifer? Is right?
1: Ellesmere Island in the.
2: Ellesmere Island, right? Um, and each of us are are exploring our own version of an apocalypse that occurs. Uh, each one is its own separate storyline, but eventually they get drawn together into this meta um, multiverse, um, and there will be Easter eggs and plot points that cross all of the novels. So if you think of it, the, the way they've been talking about it lately, it's sort of like the Marvel comics of independent publishing. Um, you know, you might, Spider-Man has his own comic, but he might show up in a Fantastic Four comic over here. Uh, I think tonight, as a matter of fact... Um, whether it was The Flash or Arrow, they're doing a crossover plot between those two television shows, mm-hmm. independent shows, their own storyline, but there's an over, overlapping plot, so you have to watch one to catch up on the other one. Th- that's kind of what we're doing with this, and that's kind of the, the overview, and then what we're doing is starting with Nick's novel – uh, Nick, by the way, and this is just my personal opinion, but he's the best independent author in the business. He could take random names out of a phone book and string them together, and it would be excellent writing. It's just it just that's just the way it is, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so he led the way. He's leading the charge. Um, and what they're going to do is drop, and I'm not sure when it's going to start. I don't know if it's January 1 or what, but they're going to drop two novels a month from Jennifer me and others. Uh, to uh, uh, get readers to sort of binge read in a way, the way they would binge watch uh, a season of a TV show on Netflix. Um, you know, you read a book by an author, you're like, great, you turn the last page and it's, if it's George R. R. Martin, it's six years later before you get the next one. And we're inverting that model and, and, Putting a, a, a number of novels out simultaneously that overlap but are also their own independent storylines that will reward readers that, that just sort of consume the world uh, so sort of like the Marvel comics world. so did I just throw too much at you there?
0: No, no, <laughs> I, I understand, but th- so there must be some sort of overarching editorial direction where, where you guys told, Hey, look, these are two plot points, or these are yes. these are the two things you have to mention at some point in your book. Yes.
2: Or- Yes, and those come from Nick. Nick is the creative director on the project. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go, please, Jennifer, go ahead. I was
1: going to say, and we, we, we got more direction than that. We do have certain plot points that we have to um, have, but he, they even provided certain like arcs, right? Like, this is what the we want the general outcome of your book to be, and this is our general view of how we want what, where we want the world to go, right? So, I mean, we are writing these very independently at this point in time with those kind of guidelines, but mm-hmm. a- I was going to say that they're going to every subsequent round of novels by future writers who may be us or other novels are going to become progressively more intertwined, right? So this is the most independent set that, that were written with, you know, similar guidance, but they are, future novels are going to become much more interlinked.
2: Right. And, and one thing I wanted to say was that those that are writing now, Jennifer, myself, and the others, we're sort of establishing the, the, the worlds. You know, I've got the Fantastic Four, she's got Spider Man, et cetera. And then somebody may come in next, you know, six months from now and write a sequel to Jennifer's novel. It could be Jennifer, could be me, could be anybody that, that, that uh, Wonderment approves of and that, that uh, Nick brings on board. Um, and they may write the sequel to her novel. You know, it's not necessarily me or her writing our our own sequels, and so that gives a, a freshness uh, of perspective to the to the same characters that somebody else wrote about. It, it'll be a really interesting uh, experience for readers, I think, and a first of its kind.
1: And and for us as writers, not to become too wedded to our
0: characters, right, right, <laughs> right, right. You just dropped a moon on Chewbacca. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> David, are you editing any of these books?
3: No, I actually I, I feel like I'm involved in this project since I know uh, almost all the authors involved. But I'm actually not editing any of these books. And I, given what I've just said about um, trying to manage the workload, uh, having twelve books is it coming in almost all at once? Uh, it's probably good that I'm not.
1: I think, they're, I think they're scheduled out over a few weeks. So you'd have a couple – you'd have at least a week between each
2: <laughs> of <you>? Right, yeah. <laughs> but actually, actually, our editor is uh, Ellen Campbell uh, of Roll Tide, Alabama, Ellen Campbell. Um, uh, she's actually doing some of the anthologies uh, with uh, Sam Peralta also that are going to be coming out in the spring. So um, she's our editor-designee for uh, Apocalypse Weird.
0: How long are these novels? You said they're like a couple of months. I'm assuming they're not one hundred and twenty thousand words apiece.
1: Uh the target uh word count we were given is fifty five thousand words. Mine's at sixty thousand right now, so uh shortish novels.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's about what mine is too. Again, shooting for fifty five, probably gonna come in at sixty.
0: Okay, that's good to hear <laughs> because I'm a slow reader,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> I've,
0: I've been trying to do my best, but especially since we have you know, quite a few books that are offered us, and um, yeah, right. I, I can't get anywhere close but, to reading them. But I'll them tell books. you
2: this, and I'm, I'm really I'm not doing a sales job. I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. The Red King by Nick Cole is a fast read. It, it really is a fast read. Well,
0: you mentioned sales job. I mean, it's free. They're, they're, they're not right. charging anything for it. Right. Um, I'm assuming they're going to have to charge at some point, right? This isn't... Uh... Sure. Okay, okay. Sure. Yeah, the first one's free, kid. It's, it's, it's the... Uh, what's it called? The gateway drug. Yeah.
2: Yes. That, right. right. It's the gateway to the apocalypse weird.
0: <laughs> well, I actually did put it on my Kindle today in preparation for this. So Excellent. I got it. I got the drug there ready to go. It's like that pro- that Flow commercial with a progressive insurance. Hey, come here, kid. Come here. She's in the shadows. Never mind. Bad reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Jennifer, Chris, when do your books come out? Then do you know? No, we, uh,
2: we, think, we don't. I think mine comes out in April. I only know that because I've, I've logged into the to the website oh. that Nick is using to to track the the different projects. Uh, that's I think that's the last time. That's the last thing I saw.
1: Oh, I need to log into Basecamp right away and find you out should. when mine's coming. <laughs> I should. should. Yeah, and I'm not even allowed to right now. No. By yeah, the we way, Jennifer
2: getting... Jennifer has earned the distinction of beating everyone in the race. She finished her uh, draft just a couple of days ago, um, and uh, so she is she is the kid in the class that finished everything and gets to go home a little early.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, but I don't recursively edit like you, so I, I have two weeks of solid editing to go before my submission deadline for the first for the first draft.
0: Well, obviously, this is a big project, and we will put links for everything in the show notes, folks, so you can come check it out and go download the Red King. It is free by Nick Cole. Um, knock that one out, so you'll be ready for book two.
2: Yeah, I think there's about uh, there's um, uh, approximately fifty reviews up now, and I, th- I think it's like a four point six average or something like that. So it's getting quite good reviews. Pretty
0: good. It's pretty good. Well, gosh, the time flew by, guys. It, it was fantastic having you on the show, but I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Is there anything you wanted to mention that I didn't ask?
2: Um, I don't think
0: so. David, what's your website so everyone can send you uh, queries? And
3: <laughs> <laughs> My website is www.lonetrout.com.
0: He gave it to us. I thought you were going to joke, like, www.don'taskrightnow.com or something. Like <laughs> no, awesome. And we'll put, of course, we'll put links for all of your, uh, your websites in the show notes. But, but Chris, Jennifer, was there anything else that you wanted to mention? Maybe do you have anything else coming out soon that you wanted to mention or any other projects you're involved in?
2: Not really. I'm, I'm really head down into the Apocalypse Weird novel right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a production schedule of three novels a year. Apocalypse Weird will, should be, based on when I log into Basecamp and find out what my production date is, should be my first one for 2015, but then okay. I'll have a subsequent uh, adult uh, novel that always sounds like I'm writing erotic fiction, which I'm not. Um, adult, more uh, environmental thriller novel, and uh, my middle grade science fiction fantasy in the, in the fall. So, just keeping on my production schedule.
0: By the way, you're the covers on your books are, are beautiful, Jennifer.
1: Thank you. I, I love my, my cover designer. It's uh, um, Andrew Brown from Design for Writers, and he does a fantastic job. Almost nails it the first time almost each and every time, so I couldn't be happier
2: with his work.
0: Yeah, very impressive. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I do every single time. It doesn't Uh, matter. I think
2: everybody does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whether you're indie or, and I know you have no control of this if you're being published by New York, but gosh, the cover is so important. Um, So, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Best of luck with Tales from Pennsylvania. Best of luck with Apocalypse Weird, and uh, hopefully we'll we can talk with you again.
2: Absolutely, anytime. Thank you, Sean, for having us. Thank you so much.
1: Visit Adventures in Sci Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at Adventures in Sci Fi Publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.